Well, good morning to all of you. Great to see you. It's really my joy to be here today, and what an honor again to be invited by Pastor Brandon to, to come and contribute to this series about needing rest. Uh, I just got back from 14 days in Israel, and I might fall asleep up here, so someone wake me up if, if you would. Um, before I even jump into this incredible passage, I, I want to just say to everybody here, I love your pastor. I do. I love Brandon. And I love his leadership, and most important, I love his heart. Uh, Austin Oaks is privileged by God to have such a pastor, and I just wanted you to know that. Well, some of you might know me from the past. Some of you might have forgotten me, (laughs) for sure, and some of you maybe have never met me. But uh, I pastored here for almost 27 years, senior pastor, and, um, and I want to tell you a story, in fact, uh, from the very last time I preached here as the senior pastor. Uh, it was December 4th, 19, no, 19, uh, <laughs> way back then, December 4th, 2016, and uh, you know, it's really, it's an experience to preach your last sermon somewhere after so many years. And so my wife and I had decided we were going to go to down to Galveston where I used to go and do study breaks. And, and after service, she says to me, honey, I think you need to go by yourself. You just need to take in all of this. Kind of like Mary, you know, treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. Because I needed to do that. I was going to the next thing, and, and uh, there was some fear. There was some restlessness, uh, anxiety. So that's what I did. I went down to the beach, and actually, usually I'd spend only a couple days, but this time I stayed till Saturday. And I was in my car on the way back from Galveston, you know, coming from the island of Galveston over to the mainland, if you've ever been there. And I get about halfway over the bridge, and this cloud came upon me. Ominous, anxiety, fear, pressing down on me in a way I had never experienced. I had both hands on the wheel, and I just looked up to the Lord. I said, Lord, what's this about? What is going on? And almost as clear as a voice can be, I heard these words in my heart and my head, it's Saturday and tomorrow is Sunday. Okay. (laughs) Is there somebody else up there that wants to talk to me? And I paused. I went, that's it. But I said to him, Lord, I'm not preaching tomorrow. And I'm not preaching the Sunday after that or the Sunday after that. I said, please, will you take this anxiety from me? I don't want to ever feel it again. And as I'm holding my steering wheel, I promise you the Holy Spirit took that anxiety away from me as I came over the bridge. Now, the truth is, every one of us might have different reasons why we feel anxiety or depression or a sense of 
of just being worn out. Maybe for many of us, there's a lack of margin. And that used to be my world, a lack of margin, where you go from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, and you never take a break. You never really do find the rest that God promises you. And I've been watching as my brother Brandon has been bringing these messages one after another the past many weeks and saying, church, we need to find our rest. Because if we don't find it, we're certainly going to burn out. And frankly, we're not going to be valuable to anyone for God's purposes. We need to minister in this life from a sense that all is well. It's well with my soul. Therefore, I have something to share. Well, today, I am delighted. I was given an assignment, which, you know, I could, if I could have picked one, I would have picked it already. It's from the book, Psalm 23. If you turn there with me in your Bibles, I'd love, I'd love for you to just examine this psalm with me this morning. Because I think of all the passages in all the Bible, this stands at the top as one that needs to be shared and told and heard and read so that we can find that real rest. The Lord is my shepherd. That's the title of today's message. And if I may ask you, I don't know if you still do this, but would you be willing to stand in honor of God's word? That would be terrific. Let me read this. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I pray that you take the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart And make them pleasing in your sight, O God. Lord, speak to us, please. Speak to us and make a difference today. Turn our turmoil into rest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, before I say anything, (laughs) I wish you would just in this moment let it go. Just let it go. Whatever it is that's tied you up in knots, has pushed back upon you, has caused you anxiety where you don't even feel like yourself, please, just before I even look at the psalm, let it go. As you get older, like some of us, you learn one important word. It's called unnecessary. So many things just don't matter, do they? And that's where I want you to be when you leave here today. (laughs) Caring for what's really important, but not carrying the burden anymore. 
finding your rest. There's a very famous quote that someone offered about this Psalm 23. Let me, let me read it for you. Perhaps you can read it for yourself. Blessed be the day on which Psalm 23 was born. It has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. Psalm 23 will go on singing to your children, to my children, and to their children through all the generations of time till the last pilgrim is safe and time has ended. Then it will fly back to God, to the bosom of God, whence it issued, and sound on, mingled with all those sounds of celestial joy which make heaven musical forever. Pretty, pretty strong, wouldn't you say? Now, why is this psalm so profound? This psalm by David, well, because it shows us the profound nature of our caring God for we, his people. It tells us about a great shepherd who cares deeply for we, his sheep, in very practical ways. And in just a few words, it's not a very long psalm, just six verses, it describes God's desire to give rest to his people. So let's look at it. There, there seems to me to be three things said here to people who, who need to cease from their labors, who need to find that rest. And the first of those assertions is found in verses 1 through 3. The Lord, my shepherd, meets all my needs. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I think it's important to try to answer what the question that's being posed here. And here's the question. Please write this down. What or who satisfies my soul? That's the question he's answering. Now, David is an experienced shepherd. He knows all things sheep. If you wanted to buy a sheep, you would go to him because he would give you the very best. He would know. But there's some things David the shepherd knows about sheep. First of all, he knows that sheep need someone else to feed them. They're somewhat helpless. He knows that sheep need protection from predators because they're somewhat defenseless. He knows that sheep are easily led astray. In fact, they will lead the, the leader of the sheep. If the one sheep leads over a cliff, they'll all follow. And also, he knows that sheep are somewhat naive. They have trouble finding their way back home. So, how does David frame this, this chapter? He says, God is, watch this, circle it, my shepherd. Not God is a shepherd, God is mine. He's my shepherd. That's really important to understand. It's like what's said in Isaiah 40, 11, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. 
David, yes, is saying, God is my shepherd, and we are his sheep. And thereby, the only one in this life that can meet my needs is God, my great shepherd. That's what he's saying. Now, notice, if you will, he says there's at least four ways he meets all my needs. Number one, he meets my need for spiritual nourishment. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, notice what kind of pastures? Green, not brown. He leads me where there's abundance, not leftovers. And sometimes, if you notice very carefully, he has to make me eat. He makes me do it. He makes me to eat these green pastures. In other words, let's just say it this way. God, my shepherd, feeds me when I'm hungry. Secondly, he says, God meets my need for spiritual tranquility. He leads me beside still waters. Now look, here's what I'm saying. I think it's been said for the past many weeks. There's a time to be still and to cease from our labors. It's called the Sabbath rest. It's, it's found in Hebrews chapter 4. There is a rest that is available to people. Now, the way we're living our lives, I mean, it's almost like we have no clue that God has promised so much, something so much better. There's a rest prepared for us. He calms my soul in this crazy world that's vibrating around me. As the prophet Isaiah says, he keeps me in perfect peace when my mind is stayed upon him. To say it another way, he gives me peace when I'm unsettled. Third, we find here in meeting all my needs that he meets my need for spiritual renewal. He restores my soul. Now, this is interesting. Restoration or renewal presumes that we all get depleted. <laughs> Wouldn't he be restored if we were always going on full? No. Psalm 116.7 says, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord Almighty has dealt bountifully with you. He refreshes me. This is how we say it another way. He refreshes me when I'm depleted. I mean, that great story of Elijah taking on the prophets of Baal in 2 Kings 19. It's unbelievable. I, I was there just a week or so ago and taught the story from Mount Carmel about how God, how God is available for power, but he's also available when you're down. Right after that victory, right? One chapter later, Elijah is depleted and God restores his need for spiritual renewal. And fourth, here regarding meeting my needs, he meets my need for spiritual direction. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In other words, he leads me in the right way I should go, in the paths of righteousness, not my own way. And what's his motive for leading me? It says, for his name's sake. Not for my glory, not for me, but for his glory, soli deo gloria. So to say another way, he leads me when I'm lost. The bottom line, God as our shepherd and we as his sheep, listen, lack nothing. My God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. 
God the shepherd, God our shepherd, God my shepherd is the one who satisfies my soul. Do you know that today? Do, do you really? Do you know that God is waiting to satisfy your every need? Now, he's just waiting for you to turn back to him because we want to do it on our own, but God says, turn to me. There's a second principle I want you to see that is from this chapter that gives us this sense of rest. Second, the Lord, my shepherd, overcomes all my fears. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, what's the question David is answering here in this psalm? He's answering, what am I afraid of? There's a lot of things that make me fearful. How about you? I mean, sometimes I'll have this anxiety, and I don't even know where it's coming from, and I just step back and think about it. Oh, it's because I'm anticipating what I might have to do, and, and that makes me a little fearful. Um, like I've said before, I'm terribly afraid of heights. And I'm just saying there's a lot of ways to die when you go to Hawaii. Has ever, anyone ever been to Hawaii? <laughs> it's terrible. I went there to do a wedding one time. And you can, you can drown. Sharks can eat you. You can fall off cliffs. <laughs> there's a lot that can go on there. And, of course, I worry about all of them. Even when David says, our shepherd overcomes all our fears. And it's interesting. Uh, many people wonder about this, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. Man, honestly, I bet I've read this psalm maybe a hundred times or more when someone's on their deathbed. Would you read Psalm 23? Even pagans want you to read Psalm 23. It's unbelievable. It's universal. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. Well, a little background. You, you know, the sheep, David knows this, were moved from the low-level fields to the high mountain meadows in the summer. And, and that trek and that time spent actually grew the shepherd closer to the sheep. By late summer, the sheep would be close to timberline, and the route to the high country would be through valleys because that's the way of the gentlest grades, the way of the most water and refreshment, the way of the most foliage and nourishment, but it was also the way of most danger. Because in the valley were rushing rivers, wild untamed mountains, and unpredictable weather, and cliffs, and drop-offs, dangerous predators, and enemies. Sounds like Hawaii to me. <laughs> Therefore, the valley in the Old Testament was called the place where death's shadows linger. Interesting. But notice, what does he say here? And the scripture is very precise. He says the valley was to walk through, not to remain in. It was a passage, not a destination. It was a place to pass through, not to settle down. But honestly, even passing through and not settling down, it was a place of danger and deepest darkness and lurking crisis and even evil circumstances. But what's David's response? Here's what he says, verse 4, even though I walk through that valley, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, if you notice, there's two evils that God, our shepherd, wants to protect us from. Number one, he wants to protect us in the midst of all evil circumstances. And how does he do that? Well, this is important. He doesn't demolish evil around me, but promises to be with me through it. That's important. There are a bunch of us that are praying that evil itself gets demolished. That's a good prayer. But God has a better plan for us right now. He's taking us through it. And what does he do? He intervenes with his weapons of war. Write it down, a rod and a staff. You thought it was just like a gentle little shepherd kind of deal. No, it's weapons. And some of you always thought the rod and the staff were the same thing. No, they're different. The rod is a little club. It's a short root end. It's almost, a, if, you're, uh, if you remember, it's almost like a nightstick. It's that kind of weapon. Little guy with a little ball on the end of it. Really deadly, honestly. And it was used lovingly to, to discipline the wayward chief, but it's also used skillfully to fend off enemies from the sheep. I mean, a shepherd could just knock something out with that little rod. I wished I was that skillful. That'd be great. Pop, just nail that thing. And the sheep are cheering, you know, our shepherd. Look at him use that rod. That's incredible. But the other thing is the staff, a long stick with a hooked end, mainly, listen to this, an instrument of comfort and guidance. It's used to guide, to rescue, to draw sheep closer to the shepherd. And it was usually done by strategic prodding and touching the sheep just where they would move the right way. So they were down in a gully, he could pull them out. He could lead them. He could direct them in the way they should go. Now, what in the New Testament is the equivalent of a rod and staff? Ephesians 6, the weapons of our warfare. We've been given all these weapons to protect our head, our, our chest, our inner parts, our feet. We've got this sword of the Spirit and a shield of faith. Same thing, rod and staff. That's what that is, rod and staff. But also I want you to notice here, not only does he protect us in and through evil circumstances, but he also protects us in the midst of evil people. Once again, how does he do that? He doesn't take us out of the world, no, but he protects us in the midst of it. He fills us with the power of his Holy Spirit. He anoints my head with oil. That's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And he fills me so completely with his Spirit that there's excess flowing down. My cup overflows. Now let me tell you a, a funny story about evil people, and I'm not sure you should use funny with evil people. They're mutually exclusive at some level, but I'll never forget this. Years ago, my, my daughter was about six years old, and on the same day I baptized my son, who's a couple years older than her, we, we baptized my daughter. And uh, in those days, we would, we would say to the little guys, the little girls, um, uh, why are you being baptized today? And they'd say, because I want to show everybody that I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to proclaim outwardly something that's happened on the inside. And then we say, what's your favorite verse? 
and they would say. So I did that with my daughter. I mean, I get her up in front of the whole church. I'm kind of holding her up a little bit because she can hardly clear the water. And I said, sweetheart, why are you being baptized today? She says, I want to show the world I'm a Christian. And I said, well, what's your favorite verse? And she says, well, and she looked at me like, well, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I said, Kylie, what really is your favorite verse? <laughs> and she smiled and said, I wish that you would slay the wicked, O God. <laughs> Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. <laughs> and I said, sweetheart, when you start dating when you're 30, I want you to remember what you just quoted. So, you know, talking about evil people can be as easy as that. But the truth is, there are some real evil people in the world that have really gotten in our skin, right? Eat, they're evil. They don't repent. They have no conscience. They push back. They never apologize. They never give up. They keep the thing going. And I'm telling you, it's so difficult to be around those people, right? So what do we do? Do we fight fire with fire? Mm, I don't think so. Jesus says something about turning the other cheek, right? But still, that doesn't do what you need. One time I was in a small group of guys and I was struggling with a couple evil people in my life that wouldn't give it up. And one of my buddies, who's half my age, said to me, Pastor Rob, you know Jesus as your Savior. You, you know him as your Lord. But do you know him as your advocate? Your defense. And if anything else I say doesn't compare to what I'm going to say in this moment, it's this. Let Jesus be your advocate. Don't plead your own cause. Let it go. Because if you go there, you're defeating everything we're saying today. You will not rest. Well, there's one last thing I'd like to say, and it's this. We've said that our shepherd God meets all of our needs and overcomes all of our fears. But now quickly, verse 6, the Lord my shepherd feel, fills all of my days. Surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this question that's being answered here is this. What gives my life meaning? What gives my life meaning? Well, he says God fills all the days of my life here on earth. He fills me with grace and mercy every day and so much more. As Galatians 5 says, he's willing to give us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's what he's willing to do. He's willing, God is willing to fill every single second of every single day here on earth with his joy. Did you know that? He's willing to do that. He's willing to make every single day of our lives significant and filled with meaning. 
But he also says this, the Lord, my shepherd, will fill all the days of my life in heaven. I will dwell in his house forever. That's what Revelation 21 says. And 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for them who love him. I mean, living with the end in mind really makes a difference, doesn't it? We know how the story ends. We know where we're headed. We know what it's going to be like. Never have to say you're sorry ever again because there's no sin. We live in the presence of God forever, an unimaginable place that far exceeds anything we can think about. So let me say it again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He meets all my needs, he overcomes all my fears. He fills all of my days now and forever. But here is the question that I've been obscuring from you until this moment. Who are we talking about here? Who is the good shepherd? Well, there he is. Got the sheep on his head, behind his head. Got the staff. Where's the rod? I don't see a, maybe he's got it. I don't know. Of all the statues I was given or could have been given in Israel this, this, these past two weeks, the guys that owned the olive shop gave me the shepherd. Is that a little bit sovereign, just a little bit? knowing I'll be talking about the good shepherd. Who is the good shepherd? I love these words. You ready for this? Look, look and read with me. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Who would that be? Same moi. It'd be us, wouldn't it? He talks about us. In John 10, other sheep, that's us. But he says about this, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. You ready for this? And they will listen to my, they will listen to my voice. Hmm. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received is from my Father. Verse 27, it says it again. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Can I say something? For some people in this room, the extent of your relationship with Jesus is like talking to a statue. That's it. He's up on the mantle there. Hi, Jesus. And there is no expectancy that he might talk back to you. 
no expectancy that we would hear his voice. Because after all, when we were 12, we were baptized when we became a Christian. And that's become the full extent of it for so many. He's just an image. That's all. I don't think that's true. And you can debate with me later if you'd like to. But I think we should experience the Good Shepherd. In fact, I think that's why a lot of Christians are bored. Because they don't know an interactive relationship with the living God who made the Trinity known by His appearance and left His Spirit so that we can still communicate and hear Him in this life. Hmm. So if I say that He still speaks and it's His voice that we want to hear, how does He still speak? Are you ready for this? At least six ways. Here we go. I'm flying through this. Number one, Jesus still speaks through Scripture. No doubt. You search the Scriptures, John 5, 39, because you think that in them you'll find eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. The Bible wasn't given to be an end all. It was, it was given so that we would meet God, the God of the Bible. And I love the Bible. I study the Bible. But it has a purpose to lead us to the living God. Secondly, Jesus still speaks through creation. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day after day, what does it do? Pours forth speech, and at night reveals His knowledge. Oh, aren't you glad that you live in Texas? I mean, you go out to the country and you look up in those stars, see the Milky Way, and I'm telling you, you can hear Jesus speaking. He speaks of his might and his power and his glory and his majesty when we see the beauty of his creation. Third, he still speaks through conscience, human conscience. And if you study this, and I wish we could someday, we'll find that there in the Bible are many different kinds of conscience. There's a weak conscience, an evil conscience, a seared conscience, a defiled conscience, and a good conscience. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 9 when he said, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing witness in the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus speaks through that moment where we're about ready to do something we shouldn't be doing. And we go, oops. Don't want to go there. Now, you can take credit for it if you want. It's just, you just decided. Or you can say, thank you, Jesus. Fourth, he still speaks through the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is a powerful uh, teaching of Jesus. He says in John 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I want that. I want Jesus to speak to me through his Holy Spirit. In fact, it goes on to say, 
Romans 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Fifth, Jesus still speaks through his quiet but powerful voice. I have other sheep that are not this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, I know some people that are way beyond me that just hears paragraphs from Jesus. Bless them. I, I just get excerpts. That's all I get. I wish I got more. But one thing I do get is when I'm walking, and, I, and I'm really uh, devoted to my walk every day, I'll be walking and I'll say, Lord, who do you want me to pray for? Who do you want to put on my mind? And he'll put somebody on my mind and I'll call them. And like I've said, I usually hope I get their voicemail. I don't want to really talk to them. I just, I just want to tell them I thought about that the Lord put them on my heart. And I'm telling you, nine out of ten times, maybe ten out of ten, the person gets in touch with me and says, man, I don't know why you prayed for me in that moment, but maybe you knew something. And I say, no, I didn't know anything. But Jesus did. Have you had that experience? Just a little snippet, an impression. But finally, I'll say this, and I, I, I didn't used to think this way, but I say Jesus still speaks through dreams and visions. Um, it's interesting, you're not out of line uh, to believe that because Pharaoh had dreams, Daniel did, Cornelius, Peter, John, and you name them. There's so many people in the Bible that had visions and dreams, but let me tell you who else is having dreams now. You won't believe this. In 2016, I took five businessmen to northern Iraq, and in a Syrian refugee camp, 50,000 people, I met no less than 50 people who had had a dream of Jesus, and they needed an explanation. Well, think about this. Here's how we do missions. We want to reach the Syrians. What we do, we send someone to seminary for three years, then to language school for another three, then send them to the field. In the seventh year, they have a couple of relationships. And by the eighth year, maybe they get to talk to somebody. That's how we do it, right? You know how God does it? He lets there be a Syrian civil war. And those refugees, Muslim and Christians, go to the same refugee camp. And... The Muslim has a dream of Jesus, doesn't understand it. Guess what he does? He walks across the street to his Muslim neighbor and said, I had this crazy dream. And the Christian Syrian neighbor shares the gospel with a Muslim who had the dream. And I met over 50 of them. God's doing that. You know, he's breaking through right now. He's breaking through. I've seen it. It's happening. Now, one little test, and I'll leave you with this. What's the fourfold test that you need to be aware of that keeps you from going off the deep end? Number one, ask the question, whether it's any of these ways, I've said he's speaking, is it consistent with Scripture? Right? 
Secondly, is it consistent with the person God made me to be? So if I get this, this impression, you need to try out for the NBA? I don't think so. <laughs> the third test of its accuracy, if it's from Jesus, does it lead me to greater humility and greater servanthood? Not make me something bigger, but something less. And fourthly, this is the most important does it glorify God? Does it give the attention to Him? Soli Deo Gloria. I got to tell you something I'm happy to tell you about. I left my worry forever on that bridge from Galveston, Texas. It never came back. And even as I was thinking about being here this morning, didn't feel the burden. Didn't feel it. Because the Lord took it from me. And here's the thing I want to end with. I want you to ask God, what is the nature of your relationship with Him? What's the nature of it? Is it intimate? Is it interactive? Is it conversational? Is it life on life, so to speak? Or is it gazing at a statue? You know, the reason I think that so many people get so burned out and so tired, so anxious, so fearful, is because there is a non-existent relationship living relationship with the living God. That's what he's inviting us to today. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, that's where you'll learn to rest. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word, its power. And Lord, um, it's some level I even hazard to pray because it's, maybe it's better just to ask. Just to ask you to speak to the hearts of your people. To give insight. To give direction. To give conviction where we are not trusting in our relationship with you. Lord, we praise you. We look forward to what's ahead. And just to ask you, Lord, do, do we need rest? Absolutely. But we're aware that perfect peace and rest only comes by listening to your voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.